Welcome to Music 316 for Monday, the 23rd of November, 2009. Today we're beginning Unit 4. Unit 4 covers music of South Asia. And we have two CDs for Unit 4. CD 5 covers South Asian classical music. CD 6 covers South Asian regional music and religious music, from which I would imagine some of you have already inferred that classical music is not regional. That is, the classical music is found all over South Asia. And you would be right. The word classical, of course, is a, um, an English word. And very few languages have a word that carries the same kind of sense as our classical music. For instance, classical, one of the main meanings of classical is um, music that is highly respected in its own culture. And that is partly true, at least, of classical music in Western culture. But you always have to ask, highly respected by whom? And in cultures that have something similar to Western classical music, the classical music that we, that we translate as classical music is usually one that is highly respected by upper class people, by the rich and powerful. And they are the ones who build multi-million or billion dollar concert halls and opera houses and they're the ones who pay um, many decimal places of dollars for tickets to go listen to that music, and they're the ones who go there, partly at least for the purpose of hanging out with other rich and powerful people. Now, many cultures have a scene like that, and many cultures have music like that. And what we call classical music in Western Europe began and was um, supported by the royal courts of the European countries, England, Spain, France, Germany, countries that no longer exist, like the Holy Roman Empire, and so on. But the classical music of, of Western Europe developed in the courts of the kings and the nobility of Europe. One of the synonyms that's often used for classical music in talking about music of other cultures is court music, music found in the royal courts. And if we applied that terminology, what music that we've heard so far in the class would qualify? That is, what 
kinds of music have we heard that comes from royal courts? We didn't forget about, oh, sorry, yeah, what? Gagaku from the Imperial Palace of Japan, obviously, is one, one example of a royal court music. Tanga. What? Tanga. I'm sorry, that slammed just as you spoke. You said Tanga or Ak? Ah, yeah. Yeah, Tanga, Ah, Ak. And what's the third one? Kyanga. Yeah. Those are all royal court music from Korea. What did we hear from the Chinese imperial court? First of all, the Qin was played by high-level government officials. So it's closely connected with the royal court. But among the music that was actually played in the royal court for entertainment was the music of the people, like the warrior's defeat or, or ambush from all sides. Remember the painting that we saw in one of our videos of a Tang royal court concert with the pipa player there playing in front of the emperor. That was royal court music. Um, much of the gamelan music of, of um, Indonesia is royal court music. The Cambodian Ramayana dance was a royal court dance. Um, and so on. So we find this kind of thing in many places, places where there are institutions similar to royalty and nobility. And that includes, for instance, the royalty of the many African kingdoms and the chiefdoms, the less, lesser um, nobility, the, um, um, the societies that have hereditary rulers and that can support concerts by musicians to, to entertain the royal court people. So in that sense, you find court music or quote unquote classical music in many parts of the world. But there are many parts of the world, of course, that don't have royalty, that don't have kings and nobles. And so you don't find a court music there. You still have music that's highly respected by the elite members of a society because most societies have social inequality and financial inequality. And so it's possible to ask, well, who are the rich and powerful in this society? And so in that sense, you could say that maybe there is a music of high class people, and so the music is associated, upper class. There's another sense in which the word um, classical is used in Western Europe, but you find almost nowhere else in the world, and that is to talk about music of the late 18th century, the time of Haydn and Mozart, who are considered to be classical composers as distinct from the Baroque composers like Bach and Handel who preceded them or romantic composers like oh, Brahms or Schubert who followed them and Beethoven sort of sitting on the fence in between. In that way of 
talking, classical becomes a historical period. That works okay for Western classical music when you had people like Haydn and Beethoven and, and, uh, and Mozart composing at a particular time in European history. But almost no other society has a recognizable period at the same time that corresponds to anything like Western classical music, which was partly a rejection of Baroque complexity and going back to simpler and more streamlined musical forms, et cetera, et cetera, defined by a lot of technical characteristics that just don't apply in most world music systems and, and, and their historical development. So you just don't find this usage of classical used comparatively in talking about music of the rest of the world because it only applies to Western European music and not to other kinds of music. But it could actually apply to music in one part of the world, and that is South India. Because in South India, you have exactly at the same general time period of the classical composers in um, Western Europe, you have three composers who are considered the greatest composers of their day appearing um, in South India. And composing very famous music that is still performed today and remembered as being composed by these famous composers. I have an example of, of two compositions by one of these famous composers as part of example three on this CD, but we're not going to use that for the listening example. So you won't get to hear it unless you just play it to see what it sounds like. And I encourage you to do that if you have time and want to hear some real uh, classical music in both the historic and the court music sense from another part of the, of the world. The composer's name is Tyaga Raja, um, and he wrote some really, really nice music. But like I say, we're not going to listen to that. Too bad. And we're not going to use that definition of classical. Now what if we used an Indian definition instead? How do Indians think of their own music? Well, starting a long time ago, 1,500 years or so ago, Indian writers came up with a way of distinguishing their own kinds of music. And one of the main kinds of music that they talked about, they called Deshi music. And Deshi music is the music of Desh, or places. That is, it's local music, or in the broader context of India, regional music. This is music that comes from East India or West India or North India or South India or Southwest or Northeast or etc. etc. Music that comes from one place but not other places. 
It's the kind of music that you find in one part and not in other parts. You have to think of India as being like Europe, that is made up of many different people, nationalities, speaking many different languages, and living in many different ways. And so there is a lot of cultural variation, a lot of difference in different parts of India. And it would make sense that they would have different kinds of music. And indeed, that has been the case for at least the last 1,500 years, and cer certainly longer than that even, um, because there's evidence for the musical diversity in India going back farther than that. 1,500 years, but 1,500 years ago, they started calling that regional music Deshi music. And what was that compared to? The other main kind of music they called Marga, literally road music. Now, what does that mean? Is that like truck driving songs? Um, no. This is the music that if you travel on the road, you're going to hear it in different places. This is the music that spreads around. It's the music that moves from one place to another. It's music that you hear all over India, no matter where you, where you go. If there's a road there, if there's a major highway, in other, in other words, you're going to hear the music at one side. And this is what foreigners call the classical music of India because it was the classical music that traveled by road from one place to another, that spread from one place to another, sponsored by the kings and the upper classes who paid for musicians to travel and to put on concerts and to spread their music from one area of India to the other. So this was the national music. This was the so-called classical music of the royal courts. It was the kind of, kind of music that you could hear all over India. Why not popular music? Well, because what we would call popular music was part of the Deshi music. Music was popular if you could understand it. But if a popular singer in one part of India went to another part of India, nobody could understand him or her if they were singing in a language that people could understand in one place. People in the next place up the road couldn't understand it. And it's only after India becomes united and only after the development of media to spread popular music that it begins to become a nationwide kind of thing. And even today, it's Indian popular music is internationally popular, but not necessarily popular all over India, because there are still very strong regional cultures and regional musics that compete against the music that foreigners think, think of as Indian. The popular music of today in India is the music of films, of movie musicals, and almost all mu movies made in India, which 
has the biggest film industry in the world, almost all of their films are musicals. And the music of Indian films is a hit in many Asian countries, but also in many African countries, and in European countries as well, particularly Eastern Europe, and increasingly listened to by people in Western Europe as well, and um, in parts of, of Latin America, and sooner or later, perhaps, even here in the US. There's certainly a large minority listening audience for Indian popular music here in the US now. But back in the older times, before the development of movies, before the, uh, the um, unification of India under, first of all, foreign rulers and then under um, the um, united Indian um, government after independence from colonial times. Uh, before that, the popular music was music of local places, of regions within India. And the national music was the classical music of the royal courts. Even today, classical music in India is still very popular in the most general sense of the word. It's widely listened to, widely patronized by the Indian public. Um, and it is by, by no means the isolated and ghettoized kind of popular music uh, that one finds in the US or uh, many other uh, uh, classical music that is that one finds in the US or many, uh, many other places. Indian classical music is a live and going concern. But wait, I'm simplifying too much. And I don't want to lie to you. Because Indian classical music still is in its own way a kind of a regional music because India is a triangular peninsula like this. And there's a, um, a dividing line right about there between North India and South India down here. And this is a cultural line that corresponds roughly to the area of Islamic influence after around 1000 AD when um, Islamic rulers began to rule the different separate states or united um, kingdoms, depend depending on the particular time you're talking about, of North India. And on the other hand, the Islamic influence wasn't as great in South India. And many things in North India, including some features of the music, began to change and resemble things in Islamic countries to the west of India, um, and particularly um, in Iran or Persia, which was the next big Islamic state over to the west and which had a lot of cultural influence on North India. Um, and 
So for instance, many musical instruments from the, um, from the West migrated into North India. So you find the Santur, the same as the Chinese Yangqin, the hammered zither um, that um, uh, made its way into North India. You find um, instruments like the sitar. What, the sitar? Isn't that an Indian instrument? Well, of course it is now, but it came into North India a little over 200 years ago from the West, uh, copied from a, a Persian, an Iranian instrument called the sitar, and developed into its own special, special form in North India, and so forth and so on. So there are cultural and religious and um, uh, musical influences that came in with Islamic influence into North India and that didn't have as great an influence in South India. So you don't find people playing the sitar um, in South India except, except as a very rare um, exception to the rule or as a, a, a novelty kind of thing. And so the Music cultures, the classical music cultures, developed differently in North India and so South India. And they came, they grew from the same roots and grew up under very different religious and cultural and musical impulses. So you can see that even in the names, names of musical ideas and concepts in North India and South India. For instance, here is the word for a musical mode. Mode is a, a, a specific arrangement of the notes of the musical scale. Now, in the old Sanskrit language that was part of the road culture practiced all the way across India, north and south, in Sanskrit, the word for mode is raga. In North India, it's called rag. In South India, ragam, rhythmic cycle, tala in Sanskrit. This is the old form of the word. In North India, that became tal. In South India, Talam, and so forth. You could go through many of these and find the same similarities and differences. Now, how about a raga or a rag or a ragam? These are different arrangements of the scale, they have different names. Um, um, Todi or Bhairavi or other kinds of names to distinguish them. And many of the names are the same in both North India and South India, but that doesn't mean that the notes that they refer to, the musical notes, are the same. Because sometimes the same name refers to different musical modes in the North and South. Sometimes the same musical mode is called by different names in the North and South. It can go either way. Um, so the names exist 
but the meaning can take different forms. Or the same form can exist, but, the, but it can have different names in North and South. You get the development then of complicated distinctions between similar, similar sorts of things. It's obvious that music in North and South India are closely related, and yet if you um, talk to people about music in one or the other place, you get the feeling that you're speaking, if not two different languages, at least two pretty distinct dialects of the same language with different meanings and different words. And I'm sorry, you had a question back there. Um, I was just wondering if that's that rhythm cycle under mode. Of yes. Your, I was making sure I can. Oh, you can't see from back there? Yeah, I so that's rhythmic sure. cycle. I wasn't sure if it was an M or not. I just was confused if it was fine. Well, I ran out of space here. Yeah, that's so that's a period. Rhythmic uh -huh. cycle. Sorry about that. So yeah, if you have if you have problems in seeing or hearing something, please let me know, and I'll try I'll try to explain so you can see or hear. Now, for instance, example one on CD five is in a rug. It's actually <coughs> old enough to be considered a raga, that is to be called by the Sanskrit name. Raga is called, this raga is called asavari. Now a raga has five, six, or seven notes. And the Western scale has seven notes. Four, five, six, seven, one. Those notes are between one and two is a whole step because it consists of two half steps. Between there is a whole step. Between two and three is another whole step because there are two half steps. But between three and four, there's only a half step. There's no half step. There's no half step in between there. There's no smaller interval in between there. But there are two half steps between four and five. And between five and six are two half steps. And between six and seven are two half steps. But between seven and the high one, 
Let's just say half step. One half step. And that's twice as high as your low one. Rag Asavari on example one has step one, the re, step two is flat. So it's only a half step above one. There is no three here. The next one is ma, which is number four. And then the one after that is pa, which is number five. And then this is da. Underline it to show it's flat. That's number six. And one. So here's your scale. Which doesn't sound very much like. So that is a one, two, four, five, six, one, one, two, four, five, six, five notes in the scale. But that's only going up. Coming down, it's different. Coming down, it's sa, ni flat, da flat, and pa, ma, da flat. Re flat and sa. So coming down, seven notes coming down. Sometimes the raga will have extra notes stuck into the middle of the upward or downward movement because you can only approach a given note in a given direction by going around it first and then going back, going back to it. So it turns out that raga is a more complicated um, issue than just what we talk about as mode in Western music, but like in Western music, raga is supposed to have a mood, that is an emotional feeling to it, and it's also supposed to be appropriate with the season of the year, with the time of day, with different kinds of effects on the physical world or on your physical condition. Um, some of them have medical um, uses and so forth and so on. Now, this raga that we hear in example one, raga savari, and let me just look at the um, characteristics here. The mood is tender and melancholy. It is a kind of a sad, but not not um, not 
awfully sad. It's the kind of, kind of um, yearning for a place that you're separated from or a person um, that you miss, um, etc., with a tenderness. And it's used for songs that express renunciation, <coughs> renunciation, regret, and or tender memories. So that's the full meaning of rag asavari. Now when you perform a rag, because that's what you perform in North Indian music, you perform a rag, and that means that first of all, what you do is to explore the mode. North Indian performance has two parts. First part is the alap. The full, full name is alapana. And alap is to explore the rag in free rhythm. And that is followed by a song. And the song might be called a Drupad, a Damar, a Kyal, um, etc. And that is in fixed rhythm with drum accompaniment. Let's just hear the beginning of example one, an exp exploration of the scale of this raga. Oh, what's happening there? A drone, thank you. We're all starting to recognize a drone when we hear one. It's being played by a plucked lute. The lute is called Tampura, and that is on your handout, I think. Well, just in case it isn't, I'll write it for you. Tampura, and that's playing Two notes over and over. Actually, three if you count the high and low octave. But so it's a really a two-part drone, playing the same note over and over, and it will continue through the whole performance of the raga. One of the notes that it's playing is sa, the first note of the raga, and the second one is pa. Uh, Class actually ends at 12:20 or at 11:20 if if you don't know that, um, and if you do know that, it would be better if you didn't come to class rather than just run in and out at all times. Singing the same note as the drone. This is sa. Went down. So this isn't going to work 
because they go down below the line here. started there and now they're down here range between re and me. But you can't go up from knee to saw. You have to go down. tomorrow where they're going from here. Mm -hmm. 